We're live. Welcome in, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today. It is, oh my God, Tuesday? Wednesday. What is today? Wednesday. My God, I don't even know my days, dude. Uh, Wednesday, um, February 22nd. It's a little bit after two o'clock central. Today, I'm joined by the one and only Dan Ives, a fellow Penn Stater. I've been so excited to talk with Dan for the longest time. We finally hooked up. Dan, thank you so much for making the time to come on and speak with me today, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's it. great to be here and uh, with a fellow Penn Stater and just uh, excited for the next hour. Just talk about all Tesla. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Uh, so, you know, we, we just came off of this uh, conversation with Gavin Newsom and Elon Musk uh, speaking about their uh, sort of move, uh, keeping or moving their headquarters really in California as it pertains to engineering and a lot of these things. Uh, what, what are sort of the thoughts that are going through your mind there after you sort of heard about this or saw this? What, where, where's your head at with this? I mean, my view is they have to court Tesla because the, the last thing that they could have is ultimately have Tesla and must further leave California for the likes of Texas. And I think it's similar, even when we saw the Biden announcement, is that more and more Musk is going to be in the conversation rather than outside, especially where we're going. Yeah. I do wonder, uh, we were talking about this a little bit going live too, but I, I do. See, it's interesting to watch how Elon... You know, and I don't know if it's so much playing both sides or if he's just being himself and trying to be as pragmatic as possible. It seems like, you know, you have the Twitter free speech thing happening on one side. Then you got the supercharger network, sort of this Tesla thing happening on the other side. Do you see it in a similar way where he's trying to sort of cater to both sides so that uh, Tesla wins in the end? How do, you, how do you view that? Look, I think the reality is with the Inflation Reduction Act, there's a lot of incentives out there in terms of lithium build-outs, battery technology. And right now, I think Tesla's in a position of strength. I think we're seeing with further build-outs domestically. And look, if California is going to come with open arms, they're going to listen, whether it's tax incentives or others, to make sure that also they could diversify. You clearly have the Austin build out, which will be front and center next week at the investor day. But California ultimately, you know, it's the roots of Tesla. It's a lot of their consumers. And I think that's a smart move. How do you view uh, some of the stuff that was going on like before with the Twitter days and stuff where, where Elon was taking a certain rhetoric on Twitter? He was kind of almost, you know, one would argue was being a little bit divisive. It seems like some of this stuff with Biden and Gavin has maybe remediated that a little bit. Do you think that concern around maybe potential brand damage or taking a political side is now being alleviated with some of this stuff? How do you think about that? Yeah, well, you know, obviously we were vocal about it. You know, because I think a lot of investors are frustrated at the time, but I think rhetoric's come down significantly. A lot of that overhang has now started to dissipate. And you're even seeing Musk, I think, handle things differently on, on Twitter. And I think it's important because, you know, now investors, and it's a big part of what we've seen with the stock, besides just the execution, what we've seen with the price cuts and demand. But I think you're starting to see, and I think we'll see more of it next week, a more mature Tesla, more focused on the vision. I think definitely read the room in terms of, you know, as, as Musk saw. And I think most of that overhang is done. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there. It's been, it was definitely, you know, I've been invested in the, in the company since 2012. And the last sort of uh, six months have been very challenging to watch <laughs> as a retail investor. Because <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm used to some of the craziness that I've seen, but it was never really this intense. And, and, and now that you think about how big Tesla has gotten and how big Elon Musk's popularity has gotten, it, was, it seemed like it was so amplified. But I agree with you. I think, I think there were some lessons learned that Elon uh, is either uh, mindfully applying or this is just the natural thing that happens over time as he's like, okay, well, this is, you know, maybe I should come down a little bit and, and chill out on Twitter a little but bit. But. And also to, to that point, yeah, I think, you know, as we went through it, obviously I saw a lot from retail or on Twitter, you know, a lot of criticism, like, well, you know, why, why criticize Musk? Like, what, he's the richest person in the world. He's a modern day Albert Einstein Thomas Edison, which I agree, like why, why criticize him? My view is just institutional investors were massively frustrated with what was going on. And even though maybe listeners, they're like, well, who, who cares day to day? 
But institutional investors are super important to the story. And that was something to be communicated, you know, I think as that was going on. And that, like I said, I think that was a huge part of the overhang, a significant part of the sell-off that we saw take place in the latter part of 2022. Are, are you hearing a different, you know, because you are, uh, if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, Weber Securities, right? You're part of that team. Uh, are, you, are you hearing some of that noise sort of uh, alleviate? What are you hearing around, around those circles? You are? Okay. I think I, there's institutional investors. They wouldn't look at the name October, November, because the last thing they want to do is have some sort of arbitrage, spider web exposure to Twitter. And now some of those same investors have bought the stock. Because now, you know, I think you could start to look at back to the fundamental story of Tesla. Whereas a lot of that was noise that took away from, you know, what I view is probably along with Apple, two most trans transformational stories in the market. Got it. What, one of the things I was hearing anecdotally uh, in, in recent times after we saw the stock sort of drop to this $100 level, which in hindsight seems insane, but th there was a lot of talk around how folks that didn't weren't looking at the stock in the name before now became really, uh, it came on their radar because the value proposition was lining up Definitely. better with their expectations. Are, were you seeing that as well? With, oh, with I'd what? say seven of every 10 institutional investors wasn't on the radar. Wow. Stock got so cheap. Risk, I mean, like when you start to get to levels, like let's just go back late December, you knew it was going to be a soft Q4 delivery number. Everyone thought, okay, watch, should this, this should start to trade toward a traditional automotive company, sub 100. Like at that point, and we talked about, I mean, the risk reward was probably that was like one of the more unique times maybe going back to sometimes in 2018 2019 that mm -hmm. that we've seen mm -hmm. yeah th that that kept going through my mind because i'm so at some point i'm thinking about you know obviously i'm a testable you're a testable as well obviously but you know we're thinking about okay you start extrapolating out tesla's potential here in the next say uh, one to three years with the release of the Cybertruck, uh, the the full ramp of Berlin and Austin, and how uh, additive that's going to be to Tesla's ability to generate net income. You're not even talking about the compact car, this $25,000 car that maybe we'll see during invested, Investor Day. We're not even talking about the energy sector, forgetful self-driving, right? There's all these different things that are coming down the pike. technology, exactly. Exactly. And then you, you put these like you start, you start layering these on. You're like, OK, at some point, the price earnings ratio has to be attractive to everybody. <laughs> like, but, but also I saw but I saw with Apple. I mean, if I go back years ago, yeah. there was a time Apple like services business. We're, we're going to give it no valuation, maybe 50 billion. Now I'd say that's worth a trillion, 1.2 trillion. It's a big part of what happens in these transformational stories. Microsoft going to give no credit to the cloud business. Part of why that stock was a 10 bagger because of the cloud business. So I think that's what happens in these transformational stories. But as we talk about, the haters hated it at 5 billion, 10 billion, <laughs> a trillion, 600 billion. If they were, you know, draft experts, they would have been negative on Brady coming out of the 2000 draft, sixth round. <laughs> they would have been hating on James Franklin, if I'm going to use the Penn State analogy, from the second he stepped on campus. They, 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 would, they, would, hate, they would hate the Big Ten, even though, in my opinion, Big Ten's, you know, going to ultimately, uh, you know, along with SEC, really going to be the two power conferences out there. I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see that. So, so it's interesting you say that about the the sort of the parallel with microsoft and apple and obviously you're somebody who's who's very well experienced and very or well look in the video yeah look in the video like i'm not going to give you any credit for ai now look mm. i'm just saying like that's you took like the next step of the tesla story it's about that it's about the energy piece the battery technology it's about and, and i think you've started to see it this year because their margins give them the unique ability at the scale, cup prices massively ramp demand. Were you surprised by that move that they made? 
that that crazy price cut they did earlier this year? How I think it was a genius poker move that they needed to make because I think they recognized there was a price point if they cut to, and they were able to, and they could still do that with auto gross margins, you know, north of twenty. They could do that, and they knew the met there was a level that would significantly accelerate demand. And I, look, and that's what they needed to do. It, it, it's not just what's happening in China, but in the U.S. Because this is, you know, I think it's always dangerous when you're the leader in a market by miles. I think Intel is a good example of that. You could easily just price yourself out of things, you know, get comfortable, Feel like competition's not going to ultimately come and get you. And then look what happens, right? It goes back to like Ford 1919. What mm. happened by 1927? So I think these are all historical, what I'd say like, you know, stories that I think Tessa must, the board, are very well aware of. Yeah. It's fascinating you bring those points. And I, 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 you know, I see Tesla bulls uh, on the retail side too. Like they, they sort of use these type of, uh, I don't want to call them analogies, but like these these data points that kind of describe how disruptive and uh, innovative technology sort of transform the, the way not just that company functions in society, but also transforms the way the, the company creates value and then how, how it transforms uh, the way people view it as an investment opportunity. And it's, and it's so easy to see those parallels uh, between energy and full self-driving and those things you sort of drew back to with Microsoft and Apple. Which one, so like if you're going to think about in the near term and say the one, next one to three years, which one do you think is going to be more... Um, which one should investors look out for more, energy or full self-driving, or do you like do you see it differently? Like, which one do you think it starts impacting the company? See, I first? see it. I see it differently. Not not that okay. it's right or wrong. It's just the way sure. I view it. I view that the battery technology, when it comes to forty six eighty, and it comes to the scale, they're going to ultimately give them more flexibility from a margin perspective to go lower in price much more global scale and i think that that's sort of the golden goose so i don't view it like the street mm. on a sum of the parts is going to then start to give some valuation to the energy business and then ultimately fsd i i, I think much more like 12 18 months it's really about scale cutting price internally of, of basically cost to produce battery and that's going to give them more flexibility from a price point. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the linchpin because when I look at things like FSD, energy, some of the parts, that's much more a 2025, 2030 story. What I'm focused on is 12 to 18 months, 24 months. What's key to, to the stock? Got it. That, that makes a lot of sense. And essentially is that <clears throat> that battery ramp and the ability to get the cost down is what really enables Tesla to flood the market <laughs> with their products, right? That's really the mechanism. And the margins. Yeah. I mean, that if you go back to some of the issues that Detroit's having, specifically Ford, Stellantis, and others. Yeah, I want to pick your brain on that they, too. What's the issue? Because now all of a sudden it's like streets. Okay, what are margins? on the EV business. When are you going to get the profitability? Now, look, personally, I think that's the wrong way to view it, for, for especially for GM. I think you have to have a longer view. You can't view the ICE business like the EV business. But it shows these companies are held to such a micro-focus on margins that it gives them less flexibility what they can do. And Tesla is more in a position of strength because of where they are and because of the scale. Were you surprised by uh, Ford deciding to break out their Model E and their ICE business as a public company starting in Q1? How do you interpret that from Ford? I think it's a, it's a double-edged sword. I think you could argue you want to give i like it in the fact that you want to give investors some metrics to value that business and, and almost some of the parts of it. because i'd argue like 
GM is, is really the same concept. Yeah. But you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Once you do that, you know, you, you now, there's more transparency, but Secrets now out. you have to, <laughs> but, 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 but now you have to produce. Now Ford, because the F-150 being such a franchise vehicle, I think that's a super smart move, but look, it goes back to like the margin structure and everything else that that's going to be a, it's going to be a tight route for these companies to walk. GM clearly in the best position because of Ultium. Ford, be from a battery perspective, you know, more of an uphill battle. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned those two because I, I've been I've been really starting to track those two companies a little bit more closely because you know one of my as a retail investor in Tesla, the one thesis I have is that you know it, it's going to be extremely difficult for the competition to really catch up to where they're at which is going to give Tesla the ability to essentially dictate their own TAM. You know, they're basically going to enter. Uh, <laughs> it's just going to be a free-for-all, and Tesla's going to be like, well, I got everything I need to take over but this thing. But it's not a zero-sum game. But, but, but it's not exactly. a zero-sum game. Like it, yeah. I feel like uh, some, and this is like my, it's my view, right? Sure. Not that, not, not that it's right or wrong. Sometimes I feel like there's investors like, you could only invest in Tesla for eBay. Mm. And it's almost like if you put pepperoni on the pizza, you're, you, you're not a pizza lover. It's like, it's like if you look at any other name. Yeah. You, Unless you put pineapple. <laughs> and, and you know what's funny? There are, there are people that are super bullish on pineapple. And pe I was in Hawaii a few weeks ago, and I had a pineapple pizza slice. Pretty good. Pretty good. Okay. I, no, but – um. But I view like GM, I think GM is going to be, I believe, a massive winner relative to just having success in EV. And that's a stock that could re-rate 40, 50%. I think Lucid's another one that's going to have more and more success. Tesla's going to be the clear leader. But it just goes back to like, if you want to play some of the China pure players, like you know, Neo is our favorite there, but th but that's our view. Like I'm not, I'm not a believer. Like Tesla has been our main way to play EVs, but mm. I believe in this massive transformation, biggest transformation to the auto industry since 1950s. There are other basket ways to play it along with Tesla. That's that's an interesting way of thinking about it. Thank you for for sort of bringing me up to speed to it. So then, if, if you're sort of saying going more into the future are you envisioning uh, how how are you viewing the car market long term do you think it's 100 percent ev by 2035 and it's 150 million units a year like what kind of walk me through how you're thinking about it long term i mean look we've talked like the green tidal wave you know and obviously some some like it some don't but yeah. i mean our view like you're going to get to a point where instead of you know one of every 10 or 0.2 of every 10 cars is EV. We're going to get to a point where six or seven of every 10 cars is EV. Vast majority of those are going to be Teslas. But, but you're going to have a lot of winners from you know, the European players to, to what I view some of the Detroit stores like GM. Hmm. And I think the difference is that from an investor perspective, it's going to be viewed more as disruptive tech rather than traditional autos. Mm. And, and, and that's always been my view. Like my view is Tesla is a disruptive technology company. It, it, it shouldn't trade like a Toyota. 100%. So, but I think what's going to happen is more and more that philosophy is going to come to, to the auto market in terms of from a, from a Wall Street perspective. That's what happened. I mean, if you look what happened, like hardware going to software, software multiples used to trade on traditional PE, like EVD, and then, you know, once it became more disruptive, especially going back to 2002, 2003, that's where it all changed. Got it. Yeah, that's that's fascinating to think through. How do you think about so if I were to take, you know, we we have the Teslas and the Lucids, right? That are 
pure EV plays, ground up, uh, designed from the very beginning to manufacture strictly EVs, and they don't really have what I, what I call a bunch of baggage <laughs> with them, with the say the sure, legacy sure. car like business. Legacy, yeah. yeah, yeah. So how how do you do you think like companies like GM and Ford could be at a risk uh, in the next five to ten years that if the transition isn't quick, it's going to be, uh, for example, it's going to be a lot harder for GM to produce an EV profitably long term when they have so many assets and so many things tied to the company that theoretically as the EV gets taken up uh, more and more uh, adopted, the other side of the business should depreciate in value massively versus the rest of it, right? Because, or do you think about it differently? I view it differently. Like I view okay. it that for GM, if you start to convert 10, 15% of their base, 7 million vehicles per year to EV, that value and the software value in those cars Offset. is going to be magnitudes more than the value of the company today. Now, now others, they'll disagree and they'll be like, ICE weighs it down, like they can't do it profitably. But my view is in terms of what they're doing with Altium and in terms of their ability to monetize, I think that's Look, that was a huge part of our like Microsoft when Nadella took over cloud re-rating story. But at the time, people thought like we were drinking really good or bad alcohol <laughs> with that thesis. You see what I'm saying? Like when you go through it, it's hard because you think of these companies one way. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm curious to see. I am really curious to see what I'm truly excited for is that Q1 earnings report from Ford when they break out the two businesses. Cause, and you tell me if I'm thinking about this incorrectly, because that's going to be almost like a proxy for what legacy auto, you know, say Ford is the only one for the next few quarters that's breaking these two businesses out. It's going to be a proxy to understand what sort of challenges legacy auto is going to be facing in this transition. Because uh, Ford decides to be the first one to open, like you said, open the floodgates. You're kind of letting the genie out of the bottle. And now you're almost, you're almost using the fact that you're being so transparent as a tool to light a fire under everybody that works there. Cause like, Hey, everybody knows, <laughs> everybody knows what's going on now. Right. So I'm curious to see how that dynamic's going to play out and what sort of nuggets we're going to get out of that story and, and apply it to different car makers as well. But I do think like GM's done it better. In other words, like okay. G, the way that GM's done is like laid it out, built out, all the, have the factories that they've built out, secured supply, now you're gonna roll out the models. Mm. Ford, because of the F-150 is unique because it's such a franchise vehicle, like nine K per year. But but you're right, like look, it comes with inherent, there's cultural issues, like engineer, right? That, you know, for companies, the last hundred years, right? Working on ice. And there's challenges, but I view it as massive opportunities. I think that's the broader thing. When you think about going back to Tesla, Tesla's revolutionized how other auto companies operate. So true. And the only other companies that I've seen, it's like what Apple's done, what Amazon's done, I think when NVIDIA's done, you know, and obviously there's, there's other examples, but it's, yeah. it's it's you count on one or two hands you know yeah it's definitely a fa it's just it's just as a as an investor in the on the sort of on this side of the industry on the auto industry and watching this thing unfold with not been following it for such interest it's just such an interesting fascinating time it's truly to your point it's, it's history. A, a transformation it is it's history. watching no it's yeah it's, it's watching history yeah. but we're living it. Yeah. It, it and and i think that's the fascinating thing but but it goes back to like, look, like in terms of like Tesla haters, so emotional and it, it's, it's like, it goes back to like, there were so many investors that thought Apple was going to be the next Blackberry. Yeah. It was just a phone. It was, you know, financial crisis comes in 09, iPhones launch in 07. People would be like, Dude, that's it. It's like, this is the next Blackberry. So I think it just goes back to like, there's some investors that are more visionary and they could see through and others that are 
Yeah, but then again, like that's what makes a market, you know, bull and bear. Yeah, that that's a that's a beautiful way of putting it. Uh, before we start getting into investor day, someone in the comments wants to know where you got that that jacket because they want to get one too. Where'd you get that thing? Oh, this one. <laughs> these uh, these uh, I got this at Aviator Nation in uh, in Austin. Oh, sick! That's awesome. Right here. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Look, there's a there's the comment from Charles. Seriously, asking where he got he got it would be so pure if it was actually vintage. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and 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 as you, I like wearing funky stuff, and yeah, it's just how I've always sort of just keep it fun, and you know, uh, I you look, it just makes it just makes it. You're just more, looking fly, uh, Dan. You're just looking fly, bro. Come on now, <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> there was a picture of you on Twitter. I remember uh, the, uh, the there was like shoes. Uh, you were wearing this suit with, with these sick shoes. I forget when I saw the picture. I'm like, dude, Dan's got style, bro. He's like. He's confident. I oh, love it. <laughs> I haven't worn weather shoes since like a long time. I mean, yeah, but, okay. but I think, um, but also it goes more to my personality as many like that focus uh, you know, like on Twitter. Like I love just interacting with everyone, like whether they criticize mm. or, you know, like what I say, I just, I just so, like enjoy it. And like, look, I think the work that you do, Nash, you know, obviously Gerber, everyone, and, you know, and obviously, you know, Gary, it's look, it's just, it's, it's just, it's like, uh, just fascinating to watch. Thank you, man. I appreciate that very much. Um, and, and speaking about that too, um, let's also let people know that next week on, uh, on Wednesday on, Mar on March 1st uh, for investor day, uh, if you've been following me, you probably already know this is happening, but it's uh, one of the things I haven't announced yet, but I guess I'll announce it now. Uh, we, we have a panel next week on Wednesday, March 1st, uh, and uh, we're going to be hosting a sort of an all-day coverage thing at Clive Bar on Rainy Street. And we're going to have a panel sometime in the evening. And then, uh, Dan, if you're still up for it, you're going to be on the panel. <laughs> yeah, one way or awesome. another, I'll be on the panel. Hell yeah. It's going to be super fun. So make sure you come say hi at Clive. I'll be there all day. Dan will be there uh, either you know part of the day or definitely in the evening on the panel. It's going to be super, super fun. Uh, and there'll be others as well. It will be announced later today or tomorrow. So stay tuned for that. Um, let's talk investor day, man. So what, what, what are you thinking? What, what, what do you expect from this thing? I think I, I say four things like what I'm hoping for. I think one's capacity, you know, where I think they, they talk about Mexico potentially Indonesia, you know, just in terms of, from, from a scale. I think that's going to be definitely front and center. I think an update on the 4680 from a production perspective and also a battery day type almost follow-up in terms of giving some maybe like economics around battery technology at Tesla. I think that's something that would be super important. So the because it, it goes back to the whole, Right now, it's about margins, battery tech, and scale. And I think unit economics to kind of show, you know, even to compare and contrast like a China. And of course, being at Austin, I think they're going to be a big focus on some of the plans in Austin, what they're going to be doing there, some of the you know, potential on the lithium production side. And then as you hinted, I think it's the roadmap on, on other models. And I think it's 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 announcing the roadmap for a sub thirty k car. Yeah, I did a I did a video yesterday where I, where I try to like think about. I, I don't even know if this thing's going to get announced next week, but if when when Tesla decides to announce this sub sub what a compact car, this less than thirty thousand dollar car, whatever you want price you want to put on it. But if you really think about the economics of owning a car at that level, that's an EV that has basically no maintenance, is much cheaper to operate than a gas car because of its it's electric. It's going to be sold at million units per year because it's going to be much easier to build versus the three and the Y. And then you think about the potential if even even if it doesn't have full self driving, and say they figure out how to get it between twenty five and thirty thousand dollars out the door. That's a two fifty to three fifty dollar lease price with zero down, and you and you get a Tesla no less, and you get access to the supercharger network, you get access to this infotainment system, right? It's completely mind blowing, and so like that's and I'm trying to temper my expectations because that to me seems like it's going to break the auto industry completely. Because if you think about that down market, especially in the United States, it doesn't seem well served. You got the Toyota Corolla, you got the Kia Rio, you got Nissan Sentra, and all of a sudden you have this thing. It's going to break everything. Am I crazy but, thinking about it this but way? Look, but just, <laughs> but let's just, but let's just go back to Apple. Yeah. They, 
Samsung, everyone, Chinese competitor, they tried to come at them, but Apple was able to do it at price points comparable and ultimately, especially with monthly payments and everything else, palpable. And you get the whole ecosystem. That, these are the, when you're on top of the mountain, you can scale and you got the margins to do it. And that's important in terms of where they are now. Do you think this this point, this point right here is still not well understood by most of Wall Street? It's not. That's my point. I mean, it's not like it's not well understood. And that's why I think like this quarter, the most important thing, a lot of times like when companies report, right? It's like revenue, EPS, got it. It was all about margin. It was about what the margins could be when they cut prices 15, 20%. That, that was it. I, I guess the institutional investor, that changed the whole story. It changed, I think it changed the long-term vision when, when you start to even model it out over the coming years. Because the whole issue, and obviously like there's many on here that you know, everyone's like so smart and so, you know, so opinionated, one way or another on Tesla. When you have 55, 60, 70 K, you're never scaling to five, six, seven million units. It's, it's knit, right? Like you're going to go like max, what? Two and a half million units, three million units. When you start to get to these price points, that's the dream scenario. Yeah. And then Q1 then, so Q1 is even going to be more monumental, right? Because you have all these price decreases technically, well, it should be baked in now into the margins that they're going to uh, release probably sometime in April or, or yes, late April probably is when their earnings report is going to be. So the, the attention on that number is probably going to be insane. And, and if they can be, so like in your head, where do you think that number is going to be at? 20%, well, I w- 18%? Yeah, I think the line, the sand is 20%. I mean, that that's sort of the line, the sand that from a street bogey perspective, that's like very important psychological. Mm. Um, I think the other thing that everyone's paying attention to is like maniacal focus on the China numbers to see what ultimately happens with demand at these price points. Like, okay, like does backlog start to be, I mean, that, that's really going to be a big focus. You know, do they have to cut prices more? Because then that would kind of. That would ultimately accelerate a little of the bear argument. Like, okay, well, where does it go? Do they just have to keep price? You get into a price war. A price war, no one wins. So that's why, like, there's such a maniacal focus on. Everyone knows, like, two x demand over production, but now I think it's key in the month of March to see what happens with overall demand. Look, I mean, like, we run these surveys in China. Okay with EV buyers and we spin them out to give us a sense of like how important price cuts have been. And all of our survey work showed like, you know, they nailed it in terms of the price points. It swayed three of every four consumers that we've polled. And now it's about going forward. Wow. Yeah. One of the things that I always struggle with and this, you know, I, either I don't have the resources or I'm just a dummy because I don't know how to research, but I always feel blind to what's going on in China because it seems like it, it's tough for me. You know, Troy and Gary do a really good job. You did. You know, I, I yeah, know you Troy, tweeted out yeah, your Troy's, survey. Yeah. They tries the, the goat, right? He I, is I the mean, goat. <laughs> he totally is the goat. Uh, and, and he does a great job of, of just being as objective as humanly possible about the data that he sees. It doesn't sway one way or the other. Uh, but it, it does sound like from the surveying you've done that the, the price decreases that happened in January have been effective. How does that, uh, one of the things that's been circling around, it seems like, has been this sort of uh, Tesla Model 3 that's freaking barreling down the street. And I'm, I'm guessing somebody's driving like a maniac. Do you think that's a negative thing that's going to happen uh, that's going to impact Tesla long term in China? How do you think about well, stuff? For, like that? Well, first of all, with all these things, like you got to wait to see what the real stories are, right? Like yeah. you got to get the facts. But 
Look, it's one where, I mean, there's obviously a super amount of scrutiny, but if you look in China, demand, you know, we believe demand's held up extremely well. Now, some will look at the Fed. February, most of that's exported to Europe, right? So I, I just think there's not necessarily apples to apples. March, you know, I'd expect a, you know, but a pretty significant ramp. And then it gives you some sense of like what this is going to look like for the year globally in this macro. Because it goes back to like last year, right? Like you grew 40% where others were declining. So it's a, it's a relative gain. How do you how do you view the Chinese economy and like Tesla's success within that context? Because one of the things I've been hearing is, you know, there's a, a there was a fear about a housing bubble that issues, the way the government was running things. Do you how do you view the Chinese economy and Tesla's uh, success within that context? Yeah, well, clearly, I mean, it hit a major soft path. Uh, we've seen there over the last six months. China's so key to. You know, just the global economy, but especially Tesla. But look, post-lockdown and COVID changes, you are seeing a resurgence in China, right? I mean, you know, we, we're there a few times a year and do a lot of work when we're there. And I, I just believe that I'm, I'm not a doomsday believer, right? In other words, like, I think with, with, with all these, you could extrapolate data points. I think the thing is, we go through this near-term soft patch. What does it look like on the other side? Yeah, yeah, I, I I've started to see that too. I I, <laughs> I can't tell you the amount of YouTube videos I saw pop up on my feed a couple months ago that were just uh, projecting China to basically be in a in a pile of rubble in four months. And you know, you have uh, folks like uh, Peter Zihan, it's, like, hey, I respect them, but it's like this thing's going to collapse. <laughs> but look, look, it just goes back to like. <laughs> I've been an analyst on Wall Street, what, was since late 90s. Like, how many times have I seen, like, world's ending, China's invading Taiwan, Europe debt crisis, Greece isn't going to... I mean, we, we could go financial crisis. I mean, look, many of these people, if they won the lotto, they complain about taxes. <laughs> like, it's just, it's what makes a market... There's some people, they they were negative on NASDAQ at 4,000, hated at 10, despised at 15. So I don't know, man. You know what I mean? It's just like, I think it just depends which side you are in terms of just your viewpoint. I mean, clearly, you know, we've been more permeable, like in terms of tech the last 20 years. But I get, look, there's people on the other side, right? Like they just, they walk around conspiracy theory it out, you know? <laughs> it's fun to listen to at least. <laughs> well, look, and, then, and I, I, ironically, like a lot, like, I, I listen to it's like, especially some of the macro, like so smart, right? But mm. I mean, I, I think sometimes it's very easy to like not see the forest through the trees. Mm. I see. Yeah, I do wonder too, and you tell me if I'm thinking about this incorrectly, even in a scenario, uh, you know, if I think about, you know, the big discussion, at least state stateside has been around sort of how the Fed is, is handling the interest rate hike and a potential, you know, force risk. You know, we're going to have to be in this situation where we're going to do a lot more harm than good. And you, you contrast that to some of the metrics that are coming out. Uh, Unusual Wales is a Twitter account that kind of lists out some, yeah, some top sure, line sure, metrics sure, from different sure. places. You know, talking about the economy, top, top a lot of debt, you know, people are paying a lot for cars, so on and so forth. But it does seem like even if in, in an environment there are recessionary uh, uh, forces in play, it does seem like companies that are the most efficient, the leanest, who have the right culture, and can generate cash through those recessions ultimately end up winning and i and i and i i can't help but think about okay which companies fit those that build the best and tesla keeps coming back to mind right but do you that, think about that in the same way i mean as someone that was an analyst during the bubble and burst the strong that's sort of, whether the oracles the sa in 03 like you look at where salesforce was where they are now i go back to apple meta Amazon, 
I mean, look, like, downturns, you cut costs, you navigate, and ultimately it leads to the next cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, nice. and you know, it just goes back to, you know, and I think that's why many were just very wrongly positioned going into this year using the 2022 playbook for 2023. And look, Fed, like, I mean, like Volcker, like if you go back, like, you know, it was almost like you got to like cut the snake's head off, which is inflation, and then take it and show it to everyone. So the point is that you got to talk our, maybe you have another 25 bit hike, but we're, we're in the seventh and a half inning, eighth, ninth. Mm. I mean, the point is like, that's the important thing is we're getting to the end of the cycle. Got it. No, that's very helpful to think through. Um, Tesla Energy, that might be another thing that gets uh, covered during this investor day, if I can bring it back to that. Uh, It looks like that part of the business is starting to get a lot more love, not just from Tesla, but from uh, some analysts, at least retail, that are really paying attention to this Megapack 2XL. You know, Tesla sort of did that video where they think they're going to be able to do 10,000 units a year or so. Uh, yep. it, it, there is a lot of talk about how profitable that thing could be because if you really think about it, it's just a cabinet filled with batteries that they're selling at God knows what margin. How how do you think about that side of the business for Tesla? No, I think that the street assigns basically no value to that business today. So that's one as you look out, and that's huge potential as they scale it. I think them breaking out margins further on that business would actually be a positive. Mm. Because it goes back to like with Amazon, you never got credit with AWS. So you broke it out and you broke out the margins. And that was a big part of the, the massive re-rating in Amazon. For Apple, it was services. So a lot of times like you have to be a little more granular when you break out some of these businesses provide some margin detail. And that's something that I think is important to the next leg of that stool. Got it. Yeah, I think what's what's interesting, if, if I look at uh, Tesla's uh, statement of operations and, and you look at sort of their uh, their revenue and cost of revenues for the energy line, it looks like they're coming in at about 12%, I think was Q4, how much they yeah, were. Like, they were like still, teams, yeah. Yeah, but it was still on a low revenue base. I think it was like 1.3 billion or something. So the total percentage of the business is still tiny. But you know, I wonder well, how much scale, do... that could scale. That could scale 20%, 25%. When you start to that's get that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, two and a half, three billion. That margin should be a two in front of it. Yeah, it's it's going to be quite wild to watch and. I think that one is going to be, you know, I think a lot of retail thinks that's like the sleeping giant. And I, I think it sounds like you do as well. Obviously, that energy is going to be. I mean, be yeah, but yeah, I wouldn't say sleeping giant. Yeah. I'd say like Wall Street. Now, I know people talking like, oh, Wall Street, uh, who can't? Okay. I'm just telling <laughs> you, like, what it, you know, Wall Street is not going to give it full credit, but it's incremental credit that they could start to give as you give out more granularity. Got it. So that granularity from Tesla will help Wall Street model that out into the future because they'll actually that's, know how to think about it. That's the key. Look, it goes back yeah. to your Ford. That's why Ford's doing it. Mm. To, to, to give more granularity and ultimately some of the parts, the valuation. Mm. Interesting. Okay. That's, that's really helpful to think about. Um, Full self-driving. So there's been so much talk about this damn thing. <laughs> I've been a beta tester for uh, for over two years now. I had it while I was at the company. I had it, one of the earliest versions before it, it like was rolled out to the public. And I've seen this thing be transformed from a barely useful thing that would try to kill you at, at return to something that's legitimately useful nowadays. Um, how do you think about that part of the business? Uh, how do you model it? Uh, what would Wall Street need to see? Kind of give me your thoughts around that. We'll turn it into a conversation. I mean, look, it's, it's been a black eye, right? Which is not, you know, everyone knows that in terms of it's more scrutinized company in the world. The FSD issues and obviously investigation now. I think they were a little, they were proactive with the software updates. You guys see more and more of that. Look, there, there has to be I think more resolution here and 
to get past this chapter to then start to get to a point where investors give it credit. I think we're just, we're in one of those holding patterns where, you know, it's right now, at least in the eyes of Wall Street, it's viewed as more of a overhang in terms of a lot of the tragic stuff that we've seen rather than something where you can give it credit yet. I believe we're going to get there, but they got to get over this hurdle. And I do think it was a good first step with some of the OTA updates. Got it. Yeah, the, the one thing that was interesting about the sort of this NHTSA, I'll give it a recall, quote unquote, because it was just a, a software update. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be solvable. Yeah. Extremely yeah, it's OTA, easy. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it was funny because the notes they were using for the recall, it's like, OK, so that's literally how every person drives. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> of course. It was so funny, you know, but it's it it, it 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 makes sense. The humans driving the system, so we should recall. You know, anyway. But I do wonder. I, that was encouraging for me to see because it does seem like at least Nitsa Nitsa. One one of the fears people have is that well, Nitsa is going to have it's going to be too heavy handed. They're going to be too restrictive. They're going to be too. Uh, they're going to slow down Tesla's progress. This thing's not going to come to fruition uh, quickly. I, but yeah, it, it seems not, like it's the I'm opposite. Not, I'm not in that camp yet. Yeah, they, they seem to be very reasonable, and and because you know if if. What they would have done if it really was in their eyes dangerous, wouldn't they have shut it down by now or like been a lot more, uh, comp, you know, tough to work with? It goes back to like conspiracy theorists, like maybe smoke Me. and mirror, like okay, somewhere. <laughs> but you see, what I'm saying like there's somewhere like in between. I think we're starting to get maybe more in the middle, which I think is a positive. Great. That's a great. That's a great way of thinking about it. But, but 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 also just like. Let's just say like Coinbase. Okay, I'm just giving an example. For that stock to work, you need more regulators to be involved. That ultimately gives investors more comfort, especially to them to them moving forward. I feel like it's the same thing with FSD. Makes sense. So it's kind of like the, the the closer we get to our regulators. Uh, and Tesla and the investing community are all kind of on the same page and they kind of they can all see the forest from the trees and where this is eventually going. This is what's truly going to allow uh, the not the software to just be completed, but for investors to be able to give a proper valuation to the business. But, it, but it's almost like with all these things, like when Musk got shunned at the White House invite. And it, yeah. You, you now want to see Musk more collaborating with the administration by the administration and you're seeing it you know what i'm saying yeah newsom california you want to see that like i like that's that's bullish that's a positive for the story in in my opinion yeah i agree it shows it shows that there's a level of I couldn't agree more. I think I think t t like today's meeting was was quick and it was it seemed like everyone used the Gavin Newsom. It's super symbolic. Exactly. Exactly. Especially especially with all the all the noise and craziness that, you know, quote unquote craziness that has been happening around the story. Totally. Again, it's like it's, you know, you, you had this sort of story around Elon Musk, uh, enemy, you know, an enemy number one of the Democratic Party. This is just the visions that I had in my head. And it's sure. like, hey, you know, everybody on the left hates him. Nobody in California is going to buy the car. This dude is a crazy right, night, right wing nut. And then you have a 10 minute video with Gavin Newsom giving Elon props and like basically saying, thank you so much for everything you've done. I'm so happy you're here in California. And Elon's like, thank you very much. And they shake hands. That seems good. Look, if you go, <laughs> go, go back to the last... 45 days or 60 days it's yeah. like sold stock you know said okay i'm done like cut prices demand's gone conference call probably in my opinion by best conference call in the last two years like hand holding in terms of Biden administration in terms of state of california investor day like less noise on twitter i mean Stock cyber gone from 100 to two, cyber, I mean, stocks gone from 100 to 200. That's not in a, in a choppy-ish market. Mm, yeah. And, and, I, and I do see, 
so, so uh, Gary Black, I, you know, I, I know you know well. Uh, he he's been, you know, you you and him do a very good job on Twitter, really helping uh, investors see how you guys are thinking about the story. And the one thing I keep seeing, it's like these catalysts that are starting to stack up. Just they're just catalyst, catalyst, after no, catalyst, after catalyst. It seems okay. It's and Gary and, Ga- and also Gary is like just like level headed. Yeah, lays things out in ways that like. You know, and I think he's he's getting like which he should be getting like much like just huge props in terms of like you know just how how well he understands the story. For sure, for sure. Do you think? Um, and so maybe we'll do. Uh, uh, let me pick your brain on one more thing, and then we'll do some Q and A with the community. Yeah, you sure. Cool with that? Yeah, Definitely. awesome. Yeah. Um, and so, producer wife, go ahead and uh, prompt that for the community, and we'll pull in some questions for Dan. Um, so Tesla has a, what was really fascinating about this Q4 call, which I agree with you, was one of their best in a long time, was that they had an initial, that they had a stated target of about 1.8 million cars shipped in 2023. And then Elon literally two minutes later, he de-sandbags it. And it's like, you will probably do 2 million. Yeah, but, <laughs> During the call. No, but the thing is, but that was the whole thing last year. Like when you have, when they had that whole 50% number out there and like they never, yeah. Look, those are like bad bogeys. Like, that's why, like, in earnings season, what you're seeing across stack is just like cut numbers, sandbag, give numbers you could hit, instead of street constantly cut and cut and cut and cut. So I think it was like when they gave the one eight, that was really important as mm. just a hittable number. Gotcha. So it was really about setting a, a proper expectations for the market so they don't get freaking slapped across the face. Because cause, cause otherwise, as an investor, institution, like, God, oh, the street's going to have to bring it down. Number's going to get caught. Deliveries, you know, and that doesn't serve anyone good. Yeah. So so what do you think? Do you think that 1.8 is, is achievable? Do you, do you, what do you have in I think your head? 1.8 is like, I think 1.8 is like a, it's like a 15, 20-foot jump shot. Mm. Like, in other words, like, it's not like it's a three-pointer fade away. You see, that's how I sort of view one eight. Got it. Yeah, I view it the same way because if you look at sort of Q4s, if you look at Q4's production numbers, I think they had 440 for the quarter, you know, and it implies a one eight number in 2023 means that they increase their production rate by like not even 5% and they deliver every call they produce. That seems doable. You look, Model Y's got sold out in the U.S. I mean, look, the point is, like, could there be black swan, exogenous factors? Supply? Of, course. of course, supply chain it. But I'm just saying, like, everything else equal, I think 1.8 is, like, it's a very realistic number. Yeah. It's just the biggest question is going to be uh, what what the margins will be at that 1.8. And I think that's where I think you well, and that's, I, Yeah. That's, like, that's that is... That's the golden goose. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to watch, man. I don't know about you, but I feel like this Q1 earnings report, like I haven't been looking more <clears throat> forward to a report uh, in a long time than this Q1 uh, that, that's going to be coming out because it's just there's so many so many exciting developments. And part of me says, <clears throat> part of me says that they have the potential to surprise the margin on the upside because of how Berlin and Austin, you know, you think about their Q4 results, you know, they had that price decrease towards the end of the quarter. So you're not going to have a lot of that pricing dynamic in, in, in that 25% margin they reported with the credits. A lot of that's going to be, uh, you're going to take a hit on that in Q1. But then you have Berlin and Austin that should be ramped up quite a bit more. Uh, you're going to have a, a, a China factory and a, a Fremont factory that uh, outside of them being closed for the new year and the COVID thing, yep. they should be running at full bore. You have a full pipeline of uh, of cars that you've sort of undid the way for two quarters. That with your price increase, you sort of just like flooded the market with these cars. It's somewhat in the United States and in Europe. It seems like it's uh, there's a lot of economies of scale at play in Q1 that might surprise on the upside. Am I thinking about it too bullish? Uh, how, no, I think it. But look, and there's always offsets, but I think that's like the bull scenario, right? Like, you know, and definitely more positive. And I think next week's important in terms of laying everything out. Okay. Fair enough. Awesome. All right. Should we do some Q&A, Dan? So let's see what, yeah, what the people have to say. Awesome. And then awesome. We'll maybe after we do some Q&A, we'll maybe talk Penn State football for a few minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, all right, Zeke the Terrible, thank you very much. Uh, ask Dan what inning of the Eevee story we're in. Top of the fifth? Third. Where do you think we're at? Third I inning. Think bottom, I think bottom third. We're still early. Um, let, let me ask you this. Where do you see BYD in this whole thing? I think they're a major player in China in terms of from the scale. I mean, like, usually positive on everything they're doing. I, I just think... I like Neo more as my China play than BYD. Just because some of the innovation going on, I view it almost lucidish like in terms of like if I was going to play China outside test, I'd rather play with Neo. There is a question here. Like I just mentioned uh, BYD and producer wife just brought this up. What are Dan's thoughts on BYD potentially fibbing sales numbers? There was a tweet earlier, I think yesterday or today, there was like a guy in his used sales lot that was saying that they're somehow selling cars to use car sales lots, and that's how they're ramp like like messing up their sales figures. Do you think there's any merit to that? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't comment there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you, breakfast. All right, let's do the uh, breakfast pizza. What a great name, by the way. Uh, is Dan bullish on Palantir? How do you think? Well, about yeah, I mean, because my view, I mean, Palantir, you know, I think was it was very bumpy, right, coming out. I mean, just given their background, the government and trying to commercialize. And we saw that since the IPO, I think they're finally getting their foot in. Okay. I mean, and I think they're well, they have a secret sauce that's unique, especially when it comes to, to commercializing that. I mean, obviously, we talked to a lot of enterprise players and my view is very positive in terms of what Palantir could do in terms of scale. Now it's about execution. And... You know, and obviously a lot of this AI craze, which I don't view as a hype cycle. I view what, what's happened to AI is much more real in terms of Microsoft, Chat, GPT, and everything else. Yeah, that's been a space that I've been so fascinated by. I, I got access to the uh, the Bing uh, beta thing, like the new oh, Bing or whatever. Right. It's sick, dude. Like, I can oh, yeah. literally go. It's sick. I can go on a web, on a earnings report and be like, can you? summarize this and compare it to this and compare it to this link and then it like spits it out for me i'm like okay this is nice <laughs> it's no it's it's but it goes back to this world we're living in, whether we're talking about tester talking about ai talking about some of the cyber security i mean it's it's a fourth industrial revolution that's playing out despite the macro real quick on the palantir story because i've been that's been something i've been trying to follow and it's the one thing I'm still struggling with truly is will they be able to scale outside of government uh, with the same type of margins that they would uh, in like, so for example, in government right now, they, most of their business is government related contracts. Uh, Q4 was just their first profitable quarter. They really yeah. had to work to get there. But I'm guessing once they go commercial, their, 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 their margins but should it's be always, a lot cheaper. How do you think yeah, about Yeah, but that? it's always hard. Any. Any company like this that's just massively successful and has such a moat within federal, that you're going to duplicate that exact success in commercial, which is a lot more competitive. So I view it as an apples to oranges comparison. Okay. But like, look, but, but that's a common issue that companies that have been very successful in federal, you know, it's a different, it's a different game when you get into commercial. Do you think Palantir is well suited to succeed on the commercial side? Look, I think Palantir is well positioned on the commercial side. It's really more of an execution story. I see. And I think for them, that's that's why I think this quarter was like a big step in the right direction. Got it. Makes sense. All right. Next question. Let's see what we got. Uh, from Alex, question. After the last tranche, Elon isn't getting paid compensated anymore for the master plan part three. Is Elon still the best leader for executing that plan? Ooh, interesting question. How do you think about yeah. that? I mean, he's hearts and lungs of Tesla, right? No different than my view of Jobs with Apple and now Cook. But Musk, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of issues on the pay package. He He's so, he's so key to the Tesla story. I think the reason the payback is obviously, you know, second rich person in the world, it's that you want to send a signal to investors that there's not going to be any succession plan or any worries like that. Because look, as we've seen over even over the last six months, 
he's a key part of the premium to the stock. When the whole Twitter situation happened, that was why that premium got taken out. Now it's back. Yeah. Yeah. The, the way I think about Elon and Tesla is like long term, I feel like Tesla is still fine because there's a you know they'll get the battery up maybe not as quick the bot will probably not come out you know like think about these long-term visionary goals that elon has but then the the stock i think will take a huge discount <laughs> at least in the near to short term if for some reason he wasn't part of the story that's how i how i think about elon and i think it speaks much more to his unique ability as a leader and he's just so so good at what he does you know i think especially for setting a vision long term that why wouldn't you want him to be part of that story? You know, it's like that he's your best player. It's like having Michael Jordan and not having him on the on the floor. <laughs> it's kind of it's that, no. That's like oh, you know what? Give me those ninety bulls. Yeah, I'll take out Jordan. Yeah. Oh, you know what, Brady? Yeah, we don't really need him with the page. I'm yeah. saying it's the same. Jeter. Yeah, we don't need him as a shortstop for the game. <laughs> it's same, it's same, same concept. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Uh, let's do let's do a couple more. Let's bring up the next one. Uh, from Haruken, longtime supporter of the channel. Thank you so much for the question. Dan, how do you feel about oh, Ross Gerber running for Tesla's board? Yeah. Look, I'm a, I mean, Gerber, I know well. Huge fan of Gerber. And I think I think it's important, like, I think him running for the board. And I think he's also raising a lot of great issues. Like, I think that's the important thing is that, you know, it, we're all talking about moving forward, about moving the story forward. And I think Gerber's dialed into a lot of the issues the streets focused on. And I think, you know, and I think many support him. I think from my end, I actually had Alexandra Mertz on my channel. Um, was it yesterday or two days ago? I can't even remember anymore. My days are like blurred <clears throat> together. Uh, I, the conclusion that, I, that I've come to, and again, I, I know Ross, like he's been on my channel. I don't know him well, but I, I've yeah. talked to him. Nice guy. Uh, he also plays guitar. I play guitar, so I have a hard time not liking the guy, okay? Uh, but, but I do think, I do wonder, I think the issues he raises are important to listen to. My thing is like, I'm not really sure, like if I'm sitting as retail, right? I'm not really sure if that warrants a board seat. I do think that the, the, the issues should be looked at uh, objectively and, and you know, Tesla should at least address them in some way and say, yep, this one's and a priority, this one isn't. And more independence on the board. Okay. Like, like, more, like I think that's it. I just bringing in more board members mm -hmm. is not a bad thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see play out. I think that's going to be a, one of the dynamics we might we might see uh, this year uh, come uh, there because yeah. the proxies come out soon, right? Are the proxies out yeah. yet? I don't even know. Okay. Oh no, they'll yeah, come so out soon. Yeah, it's fascinating to watch. Great question, Hadouken. Thank you so much. This one's such an interesting question because I know there's a lot of division between the the community, so it's always interesting to hear the take on this. Uh, let's do let's do the next one, and then we'll do one more. Uh, Jared, question: What are the odds? What are the odds that they don't announce a twenty five thousand dollar vehicle on yesterday? Look, I think I'd be surprised if they if they don't if they don't officially announce it, lay some vision out for getting to a sub thirty k vehicle. I mean, look, the roadmap's important for investors, retail, institutional, Tesla community to understand. Everyone knows about Cybertruck, but. You want to understand what the next two, three years looks like in terms of from, from models getting rolled out. What what would be a, a surprise for you if they do unveil at this uh, meeting? Like what would be like, holy crap, I didn't expect them to do that, but they did it. What what goes through your mind? A surprise a surprise would be if they don't if they don't give a roadmap on on models. Like if I or it's just like a three year roadmap. That would surprise me. Got it. So, like, understanding when when Cybertruck is going to come off the line, when this compact car is being planned to be unveiled, and where maybe a, like a van style vehicle, kind of that that sort of. Or is there some sort of SUV like non Cybertruck, like more Tesla ish SUV like a Tahoe. coming out? Like, yeah, exactly, like a Rivian. Because look, competition's coming. Like everyone knows that, right? All different models, all different shapes and sizes of cars. So I think it would be good for them to at least come out with a roadmap. You know, we spend next call it two to three years. Got it. Okay. Uh, all right, let's do one more and then we'll do some Penn State football and wrap this sucker up. Michael, 
Question, what type of vehicle would Dan like Tesla to make? They don't do it today. For example, a pull-behind RV trailer for Cybertruck with a battery base for backup uh, for extended range travelers. Well, for me, it's an SUV. Yeah, like a true American-sized three-row SUV. <laughs> a, true, a true Tesla-like, you know, SUV. I mean, look, we, we've seen, like, from Ferrari to Maserati. I, I think that... That's something, and then maybe as a pure as you wouldn't want to see it, but remember, I'm just talking about the whole, like, getting to the masses. Mm. That's, that, that, that's sort of the, that's sort of the broader view. Okay. Yeah. I do wonder, you know, with, cause I have a theory that uh, you tell me if I'm thinking about this incorrectly. I think when Tesla starts getting into the compact car world and they really start hitting that twenty-five to $30,000 price level with sort of the, the just the amazing ability to get in there and just be one of the, if not the cheapest cost per mile transportation, like private transportation system you can use in the States. I wonder how much of that is going to create so much incredible demand for that type of vehicle that the, say the large SUV type thing doesn't is not nearly as needed and you just allow your model y's and your model x's to carry that load like how do you think about that no i think look that's a it's going to be a balance but it just goes back to like they you know they got to be at all price points but obviously without brand deterioration like in other words like i think it's it's a balance that they're going to ultimately have to have to navigate yeah. Yeah. Fascinating to, to see. We'll, we'll find out during investor day, I guess. <laughs> we'll no, see seriously, I'm, and this has been, uh, this has been awesome doing this. Yeah. yeah, dude. No, I really appreciate you. Let me get your uh, prediction for Penn state's record this year, bro. Where, where do you think we're at? Penn state's oh, I, I mean, I, I think look, their biggest competition is going to be Michigan. I mean, of course, Ohio state, but I, I think they win the big 10 this coming year. I mean, that's my, I think, look, I think overall, in Big Ten, you're going to have Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, three of the top six, seven teams out there. I think, the, especially with UCLA and USC coming to Big Ten in 2024, there's, look, it's a two super comments, right? SEC, Big Ten. But I just do believe Big Ten football is, you know, we're really starting to get to the point. I think Penn State's going to play a huge role there. I think, I think a year from now, that they, they're Big Ten champs. I agree, man. I agree. I, I watched the SEC. Like, if you if you watch Alabama last year, they looked. I mean, they looked. They were a good team, but they weren't the usual great greatness. And you had a lot of talent. You well, know, I, I think I feel NIL like and the, Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Those two things have really created a lot of parity uh, between oh, all yeah. the teams. 100%. It's crazy. And and I, th I think Penn State has benefited from that tremendously too. You know, we had yeah, I great think, great recruiting, great recruiting, yeah. and uh, anyway, for anyone out there, I know it's a little niche, also a huge. Penn State wrestling fan. So as yeah. you get to the Nationals, uh, come into Oklahoma. If anyone wants to do a tweet about it or whatever, I'm always I'm always up for uh, tweeting about it. That's awesome. That's when you know you're talking to a I true know Penn Joey, State fan. Jo jo Joey from Tesla Tour is a huge, uh, huge wrestling guy. And because that's what we're really, it's football and wrestling. We seem to dominate. And, and women's volleyball there for a while, but I think, I'm not so sure they're they're dominating nearly as much in women's volleyball. I haven't been tracking yes. that nearly as much. But um, so look, uh, thank you so yeah. much. Of course, man. Yeah, thank you so and, much for uh, having me, Dan. No, and, and 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 if anyone has questions, just hit me over Twitter. And you know, if it's good, bad, if it uh, whatever it yeah. is, but it's great. It's, thanks everyone for listening. Oh, of course, man. Let me pull up your Twitter real quick, just to make sure if people have access to this. You can find Dan Eyes at Dives yeah. Tech. Let me go Dives ahead and Tech. share the screen. Yeah, you can find him right here. Dives Tech on Twitter. Dan, thank you so much, man, from another Penn State hey. uh, alum to another one. We are. We are Penn State. Thank you so That's much, right, everyone. Thank you, brother. Okay. All right, everybody. We'll see you around. Bye-bye.